podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today we're going to talk about one of the hottest topics in FPL right now and that is which of these two midfielders, either side of me, Raheem Sterling and James Madison, is the best one to sign for game week four. There's a lot of people, perhaps only with one transfer and they can only reach one of these two players or perhaps they're quite happy with what's left in their team and they only want to sell one of their midfielders and therefore only have room for one of these two. And it's been quite a discussion topic throughout the week. There's uh, pros and cons for each side. So I thought I'd just take a few minutes now uh, to give you my thoughts, but also show you what some of the data is saying after the first three game weeks and demonstrate how the Fantasy Football Scout members area, of course, can help you with this decision. So before we get into all that good stuff, here is just a quick reminder that it's not too late to sign up to Scout membership ahead of the game week four deadline. You can still save up to 30% with the pre-season prices. Uh, it's been extended once again to uh, help you guys out uh, to make sure that you've got your membership in place for the Game Week 4 deadline. And so, yeah, you've got a couple more days to do it before that deadline. Uh, and it's going to be useful, uh, to be honest, every single game week. Every single game week added into the system gives us more and more data to rely on to make some good FPL decisions. So let's uh, start off uh, by having a look at how Sterling and Madison have got on so far in this season. Now, if you've only been looking at the points, you'll have noticed that there's just one point between these two guys, uh, three attacking returns each, two goals for Sterling, one assist, one goal for Madison, two assists, and he's a little bit ahead on the bonus, hence why they're effectively neck and neck on those points. But the interesting thing is, after the first three matches, there is actually a clear winner statistically in the sense of which of these two players should have more points based on the output they've been putting on the pitch, and that is Madison. Now, for the benefit of the podcast listeners, what we've got on the screen right now is, uh, is a table from the Fantasy Football Scout members area. Uh, which goes through a number of different key stats that I like to rely on from one week to the next. Uh, we've also got the XG shot map as well. So let's just start with the, the raw numbers. Admittedly, Sterling is a bigger penalty box presence than Madison. So he's had 35 touches in the penalty area to Madison's 14. However, in terms of actual output and relevant output to attacking returns, we've got Madison having created nine uh, chances, so has played nine key passes, which is more than double the four that Sterling has played. And the quality of those chances that Madison is putting together is higher as well. Two big chances created for him and just the one for Sterling. Now, you might expect that maybe Sterling might be ahead for the goal threat. Well, actually, no. Uh, so far, uh, seven shots in the box for Madison, uh, despite actually playing eight fewer minutes than uh, Sterling, who's managed just six. Uh, two big chances uh, each that they've been afforded by their teammates. And Madison is the more accurate with four shots on target. Um, Sterling with three shots on target. Now, goal conversion at the moment is, of course, in Sterling's favor because he has scored twice. And historically, you'd have to say he was a more reliable shooter when he was in his Man City days, for sure. But of course, at the back of people's minds is probably last season at Chelsea, where he did struggle to find the net. So is that goal conversion rate uh, sustainable? It's hard to say. 12.5% uh, goal conversion for Madison is a bit lower, of course. Uh, but perhaps with the higher volume of shots and shots on target, maybe that's going to factor into that a little bit. Uh, and he's still getting returns. That's the main thing. Now, the crucial stat here, of course, is the expected goal involvement. And Madison is actually quite far ahead of Sterling on this one. So, so far, Sterling should have been involved in 1.46 goals. He's been involved in three. So he's overperforming uh, by about one and a half goals so far. Uh, Madison uh, should have been involved in 2.89 goals. Of course, has been involved in three. So he's only overperformed by 0.11. So he is uh, producing on 
the pitch a sustainable uh, amount of attacking uh, attacking returns based on how many goals he should have been involved in and how many goals he is involved in, whereas at the moment Sterling is overperforming a little bit. Now, it is early in the season. I always like to say that this data is a small-ish sample size, so it's hard to say at this stage whether or not that larger overperformance from Sterling is either based around him being fortunate uh, at times or if he's a sort of player who has the ability to overperform against his XGI consistently. Now, in the past, we know he's been able to do that because uh, in the past he was considered a world-class player. And I'm not in any way trying to take that away from him. But, of course, it has been a tricky few years uh, for Sterling um, since he since he left Man City and, of course, is now at Chelsea. So it's hard to tell whether or not that ability to overperform against XGI on a regular basis is still there. And we're not going to know the answer to that question until we've seen a few more game weeks which in my opinion right now gives a little bit of an advantage to Madison because at the moment he's performing in line with what his XGI uh, is right now. Now we've also got these maps on the screen as well and they sort of help demonstrate that it's uh, it's also the, uh, the the goal involvement, uh, the, the expected goal uh, uh, stats for Madison that do look nicer because visually as well we've got a higher concentration of bigger XG shots in the box right now than Sterling which does factor into that expected goal involvement. Um, so it's not just the additional assist potential that Madison's got. Please don't see him as an assists only man. He is someone who is offering a lot of opportunities to find the back of the net. So, uh, and this this graphic just helps uh, visualize that for anyone uh, who prefers a more visual demonstration of some of these numbers. Now, what we've also got is the uh, the key passes map as well. As you can see again, higher number of these for Madison. Uh, and it, but interestingly enough, it is worth pointing out that um, Sterling does seem to create more chances in the penalty box than Madison, even if he's creating fewer of them. Um, Madison is still creating the higher quality chances, but Madison, uh, but Sterling is still creating those chances closer to the goal. And the kind of recurring theme here we're going to discover is I don't actually think either of these options are bad. Um, uh, it, it's just a case of, I think they're both good. I think if you can own both, that's brilliant. Uh, it's just a case of we've got to work out which one has the edge, especially if people can't quite manage to get both. Um, and so... Yeah, I think that volume of chances for, for Madison as well, I think I prefer, but I can understand why people would be excited by the fact that Sterling is creating more chances actually in the box. Now let's move on to uh, the fixtures now. And again, apologies Sterling fans, Madison I personally think has the advantage here as well for two reasons. We're going to talk about short term and we're going to talk about long term. So we'll start with short term and what we've got on the screen at the moment is the season ticker, the Fantasy Football Scout season ticker sorted by attacking potential over the next six game weeks. And to be fair, both Spurs and Chelsea are very much up there for difficulty of schedule. Uh, Spurs have the second best uh, attacking schedule for the next six and Chelsea have the third best in the league attacking schedule over the next six. And of course, Luton on top, but we're probably not all that interested in their players. So in the short term, they've both got good fixtures. But even in that short term, Spurs do have something of an advantage because, of course, they're one place higher on that season ticker. Uh, but, of course, the season ticker difficulty schedule is is sometimes a little bit in flux at the start of a season. And what can be usually more useful is assessing the defences of the teams they're about to face uh, to, to test whether or not the season ticker is giving an accurate, true reflection. And, of course, the season ticker is updated with those difficulties as we go. But uh, get, this is just a bit of an insight to people in terms of how that is achieved and so far uh, the four worst defenses in the Premier League after the first three game weeks for expected goals conceded uh, are Fulham, Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United. Now 
if you go and sort a lot of tables right now, just for raw numbers, like big chances conceded and just raw expected goals conceded, Burnley and Luton aren't going to feature very highly because they've only played two games, which is why on the, ta- on the, the table that I've got here on the screen right now, I'm using minutes per expected goals conceded so that we're looking at the rate at which they're conceding uh, XG rather than necessarily an overall raw accumulative total. And so minutes per expected goals conceded, Fulham have the worst, Luton have the second worst, Burnley are the third worst, Sheffield United are the fourth worst. Now, those four teams Spurs face all four of them in their next six they've got Burnley in game week four Sheffield United in game week five Luton in game week eight and Fulham in game week nine now admittedly we've got an Arsenal away game in game week six and we've got a Liverpool home game in game week seven which doesn't quite tack uh, doesn't tap into those bad defences as much uh, as we'd like. But of course, Liverpool are struggling for clean sheets, uh, have done for a little while now and uh, Arsenal as well not exactly a reliable defence. So I think people will be happy to have a Spurs attacker in those two particular games, especially if it means having one in place for facing what is right now the four worst and most obliging defences in the Premier League. Now, let's compare that with Chelsea. Yes, fine. They don't have Arsenal away, Liverpool at home, slap bang in the middle of the next six. They face Arsenal in, at home in game week nine. So Arsenal is still going to be uh, in, that, uh, in that schedule. Uh, but the thing is, Nottingham Forest, I think, is a good fixture. But what we can see here is Nottingham Forest, not in the worst six defences for minutes per expected goals conceded. They're actually in the top half of that forest. They're doing much, much better for stemming the rate at which they're conceding XG this season than they were last season. Uh, then we've got um, Aston Villa in game week six. Again, they're also in the top half of that particular stat, as are Arsenal. Now, it's not all bad, though. It's not all bad because Bournemouth are actually in the bottom six for that rather than the bottom four. And, of course, Chelsea do get to face uh, full and Burnley as well. So of the six worst XGC, minutes per XGC uh, teams in the Premier League so far, Chelsea get to face three of those over their next six. However, Spurs get to face all four of the worst four in that run, which I think just gives that slight edge to Spurs. And of course, the location of the Arsenal game in game week six, I think is also quite important because uh, Arsenal now have just four clean sheets at home in their last 21 and arguably worse at keeping clean sheets at home than they are away from home based purely on the fact that they're a bit more open uh, because they like to sort of dictate uh, possession and that sometimes leaves them a little bit exposed. So there's definitely opportunities for Spurs in those particular games. So that's the short term. I think Spurs have the edge in the short term. In the long term, it's not even close, uh, to be honest. It's it's really Spurs that... Uh, have all the appeal for a longer period of time because if you sort the season ticket for attacking potential between game weeks 4 and 13 uh, then Spurs are top of the league for that Luton get out of the way Spurs get to have the entire uh, top rung for themselves between now and game week 13 and conversely Chelsea drop from being the third best team for attacking potential in terms of their fixtures over the next six to being the fourth worst between game week four and 13 because their fixtures turn for the absolute worst in game week nine I mentioned already that's when they face Arsenal at home game week 10 is Brentford at home who are no pushover this year then of course away at Spurs on uh, game week 11 so they're going to come head to head there and then, of course, Man City at home game week 12, Newcastle away game week 13, two Champions League teams there, uh, all while uh, Spurs have much nicer fixtures during that particular run. So I've said this on a few podcasts this week. There's nothing wrong with getting Chelsea assets now. In fact, I think you should be trying to get at least one of them right now because their appeal is now. But you do need to think about what your exit strategy is because by game week nine, you are probably not going to want to hold a Chelsea attacker through the six fixtures that run in that little run there. However, if you get Madison, you can basically just leave him there for that time, that whole run, as long as he stays fit and continues that output. 
he's in a good place. So he has the advantage both in the short term and the long run, uh, in, uh, in my opinion. Now, we are just going to have a look at a few more specific issues about matchups because um, we can look at the, the, the numerical uh, data in terms of how many chances teams are conceded, but it's worth considering where teams are conceding those chances. We had a little look uh, at, at Rashford last week, for example. Now, he didn't score against Forrest um, despite um, having a lot of his opportunities in areas of the field where they were uh, conceding shots, but he did win a penalty uh, in that area and he did get an assist as well. So there is some advantage to having a look at this and sometimes can yield returns. And uh, I just wanted to see if there was... Uh, a winner between Sterling and Madison in terms of the matchups against these specific defences in the next couple of weeks. And so what I've got on the screen right now is some heat maps for the two players in terms of predominantly where they touch the ball. Now, Sterling predominantly is touching the ball on the right-hand side, lots of penalty box entries uh, near the dead ball line on uh, his right-hand side, on opposition's left-hand side. Now, Madison is a little bit more bespoke. He is largely a number eight, so a lot of his touches do come in the middle, but he is more of a left-sided number eight for Spurs so far because he is drifting into a left-sided number eight position and most of his penalty box entries rather than coming directly through the middle are coming down the left-hand side not necessarily via the dead ball line in quite the same way the Sterlings is it's very much just a lateral entry into the penalty box um, in a straight line from that number eight position using the kind of left-hand corner of the penalty box uh, as his usual entry point so that's what we're looking for we're effectively trying to see is Sterling facing teams that have a lot of weakness on their left-hand side because he's a right-sided attacker and then with Madison we need to have to see if there's teams who are conceding chances either through the middle perhaps from a from a creative number 10 um, passing balls into the box or people making penalty box entries from their right-hand side um, in line with Madison sort of having more of a left-sided lean so that's what we're looking for Uh, and uh, it's quite interesting uh, over the next period because actually there isn't really too much of a winner here I think both players have some positive matchups over the next couple of weeks for, for these sorts of things. So what we've got on the screen right now is uh, the worst six teams for conceding chances on their left-hand flank. So are, they are teams that would be more susceptible to uh, a Sterling. And on the bottom of the screen, we've got those who are more susceptible uh, through the middle as well. And so going through those fixtures again for Spurs and for Chelsea, Spurs, uh, they've got Burnley uh, away next, and they are a joint weakest through their middle and down their left. Then, Although they're not in either of these charts as being one of the worst teams for that particular uh, stat. Uh, Sheffield United are worse on the left, so that doesn't really help uh, Madison. That's going to help right-sided Spurs players. Uh, but Arsenal and Liverpool, both weakest through through the middle, whilst not being the worst centres in the Premier League, that is where they're weakest. And Liverpool are sort of joint weak through their middle and through their right-hand side in terms of the number of chances they've conceded in that area of the pitch. That does also benefit Madison. So when we were thinking about those fixtures and how those Arsenal and Liverpool games in the middle are a little bit of a fly in the ointment for Madison's really nice fixtures, well, not necessarily because Arsenal are at their weakest through the middle, which is where Madison operates, and Liverpool are at their weakest both through the middle and those who are leaning towards the left-hand side of of opposition attacks because of the weakness down the right, which, let's be honest, is a well-documented thing. Then Luton away, game week eight, uh, they are worse down their left, as you can see on the screen, and they are one of the worst left-hand sided teams, but the right-hand side is nowhere near as bad, so Madison doesn't necessarily have a good matchup there, but back to game week nine, Fulham are one of the worst teams down the centre and down the 
the right. And so that is beneficial for Madison. What about Sterling then? Well, Forrest are weakest down their right-hand side, so that's not as good for him. But we do have three matches in the next six that are weakest on their left-hand side. That is Bournemouth, Villa and Burnley. And Fulham and Arsenal, as you've already mentioned, are going to be more susceptible to players on the other side or in the middle. So there's not really too much of a winner there. We've got kind of three or four matches for each player where they're going to have a positive matchup. And as I've kind of already said, for Madison especially, does actually mitigate against the, quote, difficulty of Arsenal and Liverpool that where they're most likely to concede their chances is where uh, he operates best. Now, our final little bit to mention is, of course, Nicholas Jackson. I think that actually he is the key thing here for deciding which of these players is the best one to go for. Because... With Madison, I think he's kind of ahead of Sterling anyway right now for a number of different things. He's got better stats than Sterling. Uh, he is under, he's overperforming against XG to a lesser extent. Uh, and then also he's got better fixtures in the short term because he's facing worse defences. He's got a higher concentration of bad defences over the next six than Sterling does and has good matchups even in the difficult fixtures compared to Sterling. All of those things are true. And then, of course, Spurs have the better long-term fixtures. Now, the other thing is that there isn't anyone right now at Spurs who is offering even close to the same level of output. So you can't turn around and say, oh, okay, well, I'll get Son or I'll get Richarlison. Or is there a forward at Spurs, as in an FPL forward? Because we know that Son and Richarlison kind of are forwards, but FPL-wise, they're midfielders. Do we have an option like that at Spurs who is an alternative to Madison so we can cover that team up front and therefore get Sterling uh, instead? Unfortunately, there isn't. Now, let's flip that on its head. Is there a striker at Chelsea who is offering a similar level of output or better than Sterling, allowing us to tap into both of these attacks in a way that feels reliable rather than just going sideways or covering for the sake of it. Well, yes, we actually do have that uh, in Nicholas Jackson. Now, he does have fewer points than Sterling so far in the season. He's only scored the one goal against uh, Luton. And of course, he has been on the goals imminent table for a little while. Do check out the latest episode of that with myself and Tom earlier this week that we recorded that. But the point here is is that statistically Jackson is performing better than Sterling so if you get Madison and you don't get Sterling but you do have Jackson you're actually putting yourself in a really strong position to actually still tap into the benefits of being involved in both of those attacks now Madison uh, is uh, in the top five in the Premier League so far this season for expected goal involvement so not only were those figures good compared to Sterling they're actually very good compared to everybody else everyone above him on the XGI right now uh, is a penalty taker so you take you take the penalties out of that situation. Madison actually goes to second for non-penalty uh, expected goal involvement. So he's in a fantastic place. Now it's also worth noting that only two places behind him in the top seven for expected goal involvement after the first three matches is Nicholas Jackson. Uh, and so then let's zone that into how he compares against Sterling. Well, three chances created so far for Jackson, four for Sterling. So kind of much of a muchness there. And they've both created the same number of big chances. So similar level of assist potential. However, Jackson is a considerable uh, better asset for volume of shots. Ten shots in the box for him, six for Sterling. Five big chances for Jackson, just two for Sterling. Five shots on target for him, just the three for Sterling. And so with all of those things, all of those stats, he's, he's performing very well compared to the rest of the league as Jackson and outperforms Sterling. Now, the one thing he's not outperforming him for so far, admittedly, is, of course, that goal conversion. 9.1% to Sterling's 33.3%. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, school of thought out there that suggests that perhaps he just needs to find his feet in the league and he's got some decent-ish fixtures in which to do that. And so eventually that goal conversion rate is going to uh, bump up a little bit. And of course, by going Jackson 
instead of Sterling, it does allow you, if you've only got that one spot in your team for a, an additional midfielder this week, it does allow you to get Madison, who, as I've said, a lot of the data is suggesting that he is going to be the better asset to own short-term and long-term. So that seems like the best way to move around this debate. But as I said, it doesn't mean for one second that Sterling is a bad option. I think he's still worth having in your team. I think those who go for Sterling will be rewarded. Um, it's not the, the route I think I'm going to go necessarily. Um, but, you know, when you play FPL, sometimes you have to go a different route to get ahead of people. So, as I said, I, I don't think it's a bad option. If you went for both Madison and Sterling, because you can actually fit both in, I think that's also going to be really exciting as well. But as I said, if you were asking me to choose just one of them, a lot of the information that I can see does point towards Madison. But let me know in the comments what you think. Let me know if you think that everything I've said is total rubbish. Let me know if you if you sort of uh, have, have been thinking the same but hadn't um, quite uh, understood maybe some of the stats behind it and uh, some of this has been useful. Uh, do let us know. That would be, uh, be good feedback to have. Uh, and if you have enjoyed this video found it useful, then do hit that like button. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Scout uh, YouTube channel as well and uh, hit that bell notification so you don't miss anything. And of course... Everything you've seen in this video came from the members area. So if you want to have regular access to that and watch it update from one game week to the next and sort of interact with it yourself so you can answer your own questions, then do sign up for Fantasy Football Scout membership for the game week four deadline. Well, with that, I will leave you fine folks to enjoy the rest of your tinkering and I will see you next time.